I know that all of you are expecting this to be the last message in Matthew. I was I didn't realize how hard sometimes it is to condense so few verses, but there's so much in these. It will be the last message for Matthew, uh, at least in this series. But uh, as I go through some of these things, I hope you're taking notes and writing some things down that you might want to look up to and, and study yourself uh, to uh, catch a hold of and look at. Um, I want to begin with a scripture from last week's message, uh, Matthew 28, 5 through 10, and then we'll get to today's message, uh, verses 5 through 10 of Matthew 28. But the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here, for He is risen. As He said, come see the place where He lay. Then go quickly and tell His disciples that He is risen from the dead, and behold, He is going before you to Galilee, where you will see Him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. Notice it was the idea of fear and great joy. Confusion. Everything has been turned upside down for them. And so there's this mix of, of just what is going on, but fear and great joy together. And they ran to tell this, his disciples, and behold, Jesus met them. Can you imagine what this must feel like? As they're en route to go to see the disciples, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and looked, took hold of his feet and they worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. BJ said last week in his message, This news has changed everything. And it is true. At that point, it has changed everything. Everything that the Old Testament was looking forward to and everything that we look back to and look ahead to is based on this reality. He is risen. I feel like I'm preaching an Easter message, and, 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 you know, but then in a sense, Easter should be every day, every day, not just every Sunday. The reality is that He is risen. We should wake up with a, a gratitude and a thankfulness. And you know, we can tie this to maybe a, a moment for Thanksgiving as, as the idea of how awesome it is of what He has done for us. I think of all the people in, in, in uh, third world countries, especially those in extreme poverty, who in the midst of their extreme poverty still are thankful to Jesus because they have their salvation and that they know what is ahead. And as we look at it, no matter what the condition that we are in right now, we know what is ahead and we come with grateful hearts. Jesus indeed has risen and this news, as BJ said last week, this news has changed everything. Today our scripture reading of the last few verses in Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Very familiar passage. And... Uh, I, I, I approached it with, with a sense in my own thinking that because it's so familiar, I didn't want to take anything for granted. In other words, it's so easy to assume, oh, well, you know this, you know this, you know this. So I'm going to preach through it uh, carefully and try to hit all the key points. But as we do, I want to pray that we will have our hearts open to receive it fresh as if it were new. And so would you join me in prayer as we begin the service in this part? 
Father, we thank you that we can come to you this morning, and as we open your word to read it and to share it together, we ask, Lord, that through your Holy Spirit, you'd set all the distractions aside and let us focus on your word this morning, that through your Holy Spirit, you would cause it to sink deep and open horizons and thoughts and and reconfirm for us the things that we already know and possibly, Lord, things that we hadn't put together before. And we ask that through this, this time together, you will enrich in our walk, strengthen our resolve to walk for you in a lost world. We worship you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So today our message coming from verse 16 through 20 of Matthew chapter 28. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I think of this appearance and, and, and I was looking and, and I went through all of the other appearances of Jesus that He made after His, we call them post-resurrection appearances or resurrection appearances. And there's at least a dozen of them. I mean, He first appeared, according to John chapter 20, He appeared to Mary Magdalene. And, uh, and, and then uh, we just read it. He appeared to the women as they were returning to, to tell the disciples that He is risen. And, uh, and the last week, uh, and that BJ preached on last week, and then uh, two disciples on the road to Emmaus in Luke chapter 24. He appears to them. And, and all of this on the day of the resurrection. And then to Peter, in Luke 24, it says he appeared to Peter. And then the, the two disciples that were on the road to Emmaus, they went back to see the other disciples. And so he appeared to, and I'm going to say ten disciples, because one was missing, Thomas. And that's in Luke chapter 24. And then Jesus appears again uh, to the eleven, Thomas being in that group. And that's where we see that Thomas touched his wounds and said, oh, you know, you are the, the Son of God. And made a great confession there in John chapter 20. Several more uh, appearances, uh, in fact, more than are actually listed. If you turn to the, the book of Acts chapter 1, uh, you, we get a, an account here of, of some of this. In Acts chapter 1 verse 3, Jesus presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. This is towards his last part of, of his time with them. And, and you know, talking about what was going to happen. And then the ascension. He, he goes to heaven. And the angels say, hey, you know, he's going to come back the way he's left. <laughs> and, and so don't stand around here. Go do what he told you. And so it's important to get that idea that there is something we are supposed to be doing. Today, as we look at this, uh, we're actually in Galilee. We're at a mountain in Galilee. We don't know what mountain it is. 
But this is a specific time where Jesus has called the eleven. He says, we're going to meet in Galilee and have a time together. And we know that he met them at the Sea of Galilee as well. And you know, it says that he ate fish with them. What is that supposed to tell us that we're sure of? Physical, bodily resurrection. He could eat. He ate fish with them. It wasn't some ghost that was appearing. It wasn't some mystic spirit appearing. It was the bodily, physical, resurrected Jesus Christ. And, and so we have this, this powerful picture of Jesus at the Sea of Galilee. And he tells them to catch a big harvest of fish. And it's just a, a, an amazing time together. And then he meets with them on this mountaintop. And on this mountaintop, some think that uh, there were, this is where he met with when Paul accounts in, in 1 Corinthians 15 and uh, 500 at one time. I don't believe that that actually is what happened here. I think that they would have made mention of it very specifically. There was a huge crowd amongst them with the eleven there, something to that effect. And, and what he's sharing with them very, seems very specific and very personal to the disciples. And so I don't believe that the 500 appearing to 500 was at this point in time. Uh, commentators disagree one way or the other on that and, and try to place that 500 at some point. And I'm not sure where to place it. Nobody else is either. And the fact is, is that the, when Paul made that statement, it was made so that people would understand there's, there's 500 witnesses at Simon once. And Paul makes a very clear comment there. And most of them are still alive. You want to check on it? You want to verify it? It's, it can be done. So, again, affirming the bodily, physical resurrection of Christ. Here at the Sea of Galilee, he takes them. And, and, and so we're on a mountain in Galilee where John had directed them. So back to, to chapter 28, verse 16. It says, now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Note the obedience here. It doesn't say Jesus went with them. It says he meets them there. So he tells them in Jerusalem, go back to Galilee and we're going to meet together there. And he directed them very specifically to a specific location that they would know. You've got to remember, these are, are Galileans. They knew the area. And uh, it would be something that they would be able to specifically identify. And, and so they go. And when they saw him, verse 17, and this is so powerful. When they saw him, it says that they fell down and worshipped him. They fell down and worshipped him. And this idea of worship here is one of, of total worship. It's actually to be prostrate with their heads down and declaring Him as God. And this is extremely important in the context of understanding. This is 11 Jewish men raised in the Jewish culture who would never think to bow down to anyone and worship but who? God. So this is a declaration that this is God. Jesus is God. And they've bowed down, they worshipped Him. His deity is assumed here. But there's an additional comment here that's made. And it said, and, 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 and in the process it says, they bowed down and worshipped Him, but some doubted. One thing I want to make sure you understand is the way they worshipped shows they didn't doubt who He is. That, so we, that's not the you know something they they had they weren't sure it was Christ. No, they wouldn't have been on the ground by their own 
bringing up of stuff. No, their worship identifies who he is and their agreement with that. So what he, they doubted is what I want to take a quick look at this morning. And I believe there's a lot of different ideas uh, about it. But what I, my opinion is, is that, uh, uh, well, at first, it's kind of interesting. A lot of, 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 of commentaries and stuff like that, they just kind of, they go to, uh, like your Bible does, uh, where when they identify different parts of the Bible. Uh, in the, in the uh, English version here, it says, uh, it says the Great Commission, starting with verse 16. Actually, the Great Commission starts with verse uh, uh, 19. Uh, so, uh, it's, uh, you know, these verses are, are not identified other than with the Great Commission. And as a result, a lot of pe- preaching and, and a lot of the commentaries, they just jump into the Great Commission and just kind of avoid this, they doubted. Because it's a hard thing to identify. I think if you put it in the context of the way Jesus answered this doubt by identifying the Great Commission, especially the idea that he's going to be with them always, that what they doubted was, we're confused. It means they wavered. This word actually means that they wavered or were hesitant, meaning that they didn't know what was coming next. You've got to think about this. They have been following after Jesus for three years. They expected the same thing that everyone else expected in a reference to the Messiah. And that was, he would come ultimately and establish the kingdom of David in Jerusalem and that this is what was going to happen. While this, at this first coming, they didn't see a, the second coming. They, just, they, they saw it all tied together from the Old Testament Scriptures, what they had been taught all their lives was this establishment of the kingdom of God uh, the kingdom of David, uh, and, and that's what they were looking for. So what did they do after the, the, at, the, at the point of the resurrection? In fact, with the exception of John, all the other disciples were missing. Why? They were afraid. We're told that they were in probably the upper room where they had been before together with the door locked in fear. Fear of, of them being next. And so, here they've been following Jesus, listening to Him, learning, being taught, and, and getting you know, quite excited about it. And, and even after the resurrection, just before the ascension, again in Acts chapter 1, they, they, they looked at Jesus and they said, okay, are we going to do it now, Jesus? Are we going to go in? And what they meant was, are we going to go into Jerusalem and establish the kingdom now? And Jesus said, no, just go back, stay in the upper room until the gift that has been promised comes. And then you're going to have understanding. The power of God will come upon you. That was the promise of the Holy Spirit. We call it the day of Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit comes in. So at this point in time, the doubting is something that you can actually understand coming from the disciples to what are we going to do now? What's next? We don't get it. We don't understand. Basically, they're saying, what's our purpose? What's our future? Now, again, for me here, I I find myself dropping down to 
verse 20, Behold, I am with you always. You're, and, and, and this implying you're not alone. You will never be alone. I am with you. So number one is actually, to me, is verse 20 in the sense that having the confidence, Jesus says, nothing has changed in this sense. I am with you always. You can count on that. I don't believe at this point that there's any doubt in their minds about that. He said it. They're looking at the resurrected Christ. They're beginning to put a few things together. And, and they say, okay, he's with us. He's, we're with him. Something's going to happen. What they're still thinking, obviously, from Acts chapter 1, verse 6, is they're still thinking they're going to go in and establish the kingdom now. But they're confident that they're with Jesus. I think that some of their fears at this point is beginning to evaporate. Think about it. They're with Jesus. He's alive. They can't kill Him. And He's our, our, our Savior. He's our, 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 our Lord. They're beginning to catch the image of who Christ is. But they're clearly at the point where everything has changed. For them too. So I think the doubt would be understandable. Even though He's risen, we don't know for sure what to do. What's next? Jesus in verses 18-20 through 20 reveals their purpose. He says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. All authority. Meaning all power. All rule. All sovereignty. All reign. Uh, all legal jurisdiction. <laughs> uh, you know, all judgment is implied in this, in this statement. All authority has been given to me. In other words, he, is the, he has the final say on anything, everything, that has to do with heaven and earth. And it says it's been given to him. Now, one might want to say, well, wait a minute. He's the Son of God, God in the flesh. Then why does it have to be given to him? Because he set it aside. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, identifying who Jesus is. The Word is God. And then it tells us in verse 14, the Word came in the flesh and dwelt among us. He became man. Now, a clearer picture of what all this entailed comes from Philippians in the second chapter. Philippians chapter 2, starting with verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. In other words, Paul is writing to the Philippians saying we need to be thinking, learning to think like Jesus thinks. To see the world the way Jesus sees it. To hear what Jesus hears. So that's what he's trying to strive here. And, and so he says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not account, account equality with God a thing to be grasped. Right there. He didn't have to grasp at equality with God. Why? Because He is equal. He is God. But He made Himself nothing. Another version says He emptied Himself. It's as if He had the cloak of His authority, the cloak of all that He is and has right and power and authority over, as if He took it off, set it aside, and laid it at the Father's feet and becomes man and dwells amongst us. 
He emptied Himself. On earth, He calls from God for his, in His prayers. He, he says, I do what the Father tells me to do. I call on the Father and He gives me the power. How many times did we see Jesus go out and pray? And, and, and how many times all night did He pray? This is, this is God in the flesh. You think, does He need to pray? Is He praying to Himself? No, because He has become man, God in the flesh, he had to submit to the Father. He emptied himself. He set his authority aside. And so he's now saying, it's been given back to me. I now have all authority. Several Psalms deal with this. Uh, and, and, and Psalm 2 is one that it deals with the fact that Jesus has been appointed the King, the Lord, and, and, and he has the final authority in all things. All authority has been given to me. And this idea of given is, is given over, delivered to. Necessary because he had emptied himself. He says now in verses 19 through 20, some people say this is our marching orders. I've heard that over the years. I don't know how many messages, sermons, and commentaries. He's given us our marching orders. But understand that it's more than marching orders. It's our purpose. I don't know how to emphasize it. I don't know what better word to choose for that. It is what God has called us to do that we're going to be looking at. Because it's not just for the disciples. He's told the disciples to bring along people to do the same thing He's calling them to do as we go through this. So our marching orders have been given to us. Our, our purpose has been given. The purpose that the disciples were waiting for has been given to them. Whatever doubt they had, which I believe is in this category of not knowing what's next, He's solving for them right here. He doesn't, say, he doesn't condemn them for their doubt at this point. He simply lets them know that here's, here's the answer to what your confusion is over. This is your purpose now. And it's interesting because when they had been sent out to share the things of Christ, at the point he sent them out in the Gospels, he says, I want you to go. And he never said to all the nations. He didn't even say to the Gentiles. He says, I want you to go to the Jewish people. I want you to evangelize them and share that with them the things that you know. And they went out two by two. There's songs about it. There's stories about it. There's poems about it. And, and this time he's saying something different. He's expanded the whole picture. Verse 19. Chapter 28 of Matthew. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them, verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Go. Here's the order. Go. But here is the purpose of the order. Make disciples. This is the focus. To go out and make disciples. And go doesn't mean to every one of us, to all the nations, but that we are making sure that all the nations get the gospel. That's our responsibility. It was their responsibility. Did they go to every nation? Physically? No. Why? Because there was no way in their lifetime they could do it. But they were to raise up disciples so that it would happen. 
You know that there's uh, uh, when the Clarks come and share some things about Japan, there was a, a digging and, and stuff in Japan that they found a, a, a what they thought was a Japanese temple, but they actually found out it was a temple after, in the late first century that actually was a Christian church. The gospel had made it all the way to Japan. I think that's amazing. Why? Because they did exactly what they were told to be. Did everybody go to Japan? No. But somebody got there. Somebody made it. Maybe it was somebody from China. Maybe it was somebody from India that got to China. Maybe it was somebody from Turkey that got to India. We, you know, we, there's so many different ways of looking at this. One thing we know is we're all connected to the upper room. Every one of us are connected to that 120 people in the upper room. That's our roots. There isn't one of us here that does not owe thanksgiving to those people and their faithfulness in that sense. Go make disciples. What are the disciples? I I put here obedient followers of Jesus Christ. Ones who will follow His precepts and instructions. What did He tell them? To teach them everything I have commanded you. So they're going at this point in understanding what Jesus has taught them. Again, at the point of being filled with the Holy Spirit, as they go out, they're recalling things and putting things together that they didn't even see before. We even get that in Scripture as the Scripture is being written and they'll say, you know, as it was prophesied, as it was said, as, and it, was, it came together through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so as the Holy Spirit comes on them, they're beginning to put all of the teachings that He commanded together. And I'm thinking, what are all the teachings? Well, I can think of one, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. You want, you want to, to, to have a walk. You know, I have people say, what is the will of God in my life? There's, there's one right there. Are you seeking God with all your heart, soul, and mind? If you're not, that's your starting point. The reason why you might not know what the will of God for your life is or have a confidence of what the will of God for your life is is because you're not doing that. Or other Scriptures that you've read that have told you things that God wants you to do on your day-to-day life. In reference to fellowship, encouraging one another. Don't let an unkind word come out of your mouth, but only words that what? From Ephesians. Encourage and build up. Ouch. How many times have I failed that? Have we failed? And so we want to you know, say, what's the will of God for my life? Do I go to this college or, or to this town or do this job? He says, seek first the kingdom of God and these things will be added unto you. And I think the idea is that you'll have the confidence to follow your, 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 the, the options before you. And it's not a matter of which one, it's a matter of doing it in Christ. With the intent of understanding, as I go here, I'm to make disciples. It's an interesting thing for me that that when I was at uh, a furniture company in in, uh, San Jose while I was going through Bible college, they knew that I was a Bible college uh, student. And uh, there was a lot of Joking or goes on around. I at, at this point, I don't, with the exception of one that I found out later, and, and she had not been living for Christ at that point. There were no believers, 
in, in the group, and uh, they were very uncouth at times. Uh, part of it was that they, they you know, I, I had the privacy of at least of my spray booth, uh, and I, 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 you know, in Bible college they get to, you know, you got to memorize all of the, the scriptures and different things and stuff like that, and and so I was sitting there. I just took them and lacquered them to the to the walls, <laughs> so my walls became the, uh, the scriptures, and and I could I could think about them. And some a lot of furniture finishing is very rote, and you just do the same thing over and over and over again with a spray gun, and and so I I could think about the scriptures as I was going. And one time I came back from, I had weekend ministries that I was involved in, and, and uh, I came back to, and they had put a cross up on the top of the spray booth. That was supposed to be a joke. And I thought, I'm making an impact. <laughs> it may not be a positive impact in the sense, but what they're, what they're understanding is there is something happening here. And what was exciting for me was I got to lead one person Back to the Lord, one person to the Lord. Got to see them both baptized at at, at uh, Bryce Jessup's church in San Jose. And so you realize when I took that job, I have to confess I didn't take it thinking I was going into evangelism at a place called Nude Furniture. But you see, God already had that figured out. I I knew I was supposed to be at Bible college. I needed a job, and there it was, and it was something I knew how to do. Already. And so I walked into a, a job that, that lasted through Bible college and paid well. But the, the, the picture is, is that I wasn't thinking about it being a place to disciple. But because I was still looking to the Word of God, listening to the Word of God, and, and seeking the Word of God, uh, He made it such a place. I had people that came up to me, especially towards the last year, that... that we're asking for help with different things in their lives, counsel, different things. They actually gave me a gold watch after I worked for them for three years when I left. Uh, and, and, and I thought, whoa, <laughs> I'm not, and, and, and a quart of lacquer thinner uh, because they were afraid I would, I would you know, need it in, in case I got you know, detoxified or something. That's supposed to be a joke, by the way. Um, but the idea was is, is that I went from being a person that they ridiculed to a person that they respected. Only two of them out of a, uh, out of twenty some people came to to the Lord that I know of. But still, what impact did that make? You don't know. We're to go with the idea that wherever we go, maybe you're at a place where you can't mention Christ. It's against the rules. Yeah, that's, that's common in our culture today. But you still can live for Him. And in most places, there will be at a point in time where somebody might come up to you as you go through a struggle or a situation that they know of and they turn around and say, I don't get it, how you're going through that and, and you're still you know, finding joy in life. Well, Paul, uh, Peter says to be prepared for that. Because now you have a one-on-one. You didn't start the conversation. And you have the ability to, to say with that person, hey, you want to go to lunch? And without breaking any of the rules, you're now able to share the gospel. And I'll tell you what, if you live the gospel in your life, people will ask, 
or they'll at least observe and watch. A lot of them are watching for you to stumble once they find out that you're a Christian. If you do, get up. And if it's any one of them that you've heard or offended, make sure you go to them and tell them how sorry you are and ask for their forgiveness. Pastor Gallagher, Bill Gallagher, some of you knew him, um, said he, he, he made more contact with people by putting his foot in his mouth than he ever made by going door to door. Uh, and he was notorious for it. And in uh, his ability to go up and say, oh, I'm really sorry about this or that or whatever. And, and they'll say, what? Well, I, 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 I just, when I, when I said this, I realized it was inappropriate. Or when I did this, I realized it could have been offensive. And they're thinking, how, it was insignificant. But it opened the door. So, we're to make disciples. This is what we're called. Their purpose is to make disciples. Every group of people, not just Jews. In fact, the word here, nations, is frequently interpreted Gentiles in other passages. So, it's Jews and Gentiles. Ones who will follow His precepts and instructions were to make disciples, obedient followers. Go, therefore, and do this. And the therefore is, you know, what's the therefore, therefore? Uh, I can see three or four Bible college students going, yeah, I heard it. Okay, it's because of what He just said. All authority has been given to Me. Okay, so do this. Therefore, go. In My name. Go. He adds to it baptizing them. And the picture of, of baptism to me is, is best pictured by Paul's writing in the book of Romans where he, he describes it in chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, verse 3 Paul writes to them, Do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Christ Jesus? Uh, we're baptized into His death. We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in a newness of life. You ever heard baptism called a watery grave? I, and old timers especially used to use that phrase. The picture is very simple. Baptism, by the way, you can't do this any other way but immersion. Uh, not that, you know, well, yeah, I am. Uh, and, and that is a picture of the person is here, the water is here, and they're back down or put down under the water. They're completely under the water. And they're brought as if resurrected into Christ out of the water to walk in newness of life. Now, did the baptism itself, did the water in itself do anything miraculous? No. But the baptism in the sense of what it is, is a spiritual acceptance of Christ as Lord. He's not just our Savior, He is our Lord. If you never caught that when you were baptized, that belongs there. You were baptized with Him to walk in a newness of life. Not in the old way, but in the new way. What's the new way? I have all authority that has been given unto me, and now I'm telling you, go. Make disciples. Some people will make disciples simply by, by being Christ-like, 
within the framework of their work, their neighborhood, and their friends. Others will go to to mission fields and do great things. Every one of them is important. Because I come back to this idea. Look at the chain that started with the upper room. Maybe one of, uh, one of those people only told five people and that five people told five people that told five people that told five people that, you know, and you just go by fives instead of hundreds and thousands. And the next thing you know, one of those five people down the line talked to me at a restaurant in Paradise, California in 1976. Well, actually 1975. And shared the gospel with me. I went into that restaurant with no intention of talking about Jesus Christ. In fact, I told Kathy several weeks before many of our friends had become Christians, I said, if they come over with their Bibles, I'll go out to the local pool hall. I'll play pool. Call me when they're gone. God has a great sense of humor in the midst of things. The restaurant was crowded. A snowstorm in May doesn't belong in May in paradise, but it happened. We knew it was going to be gone within an hour. Three of us in the building, in the same building, uh, said, what are we going to do? We don't want to shovel snow. That's ridiculous. So we'll just leave our clothes signs out and go down to the brunch house for breakfast. Everybody else in contracting, painting, and whatever had the same idea. And as we stood there, there was one table off in the corner, seated for four, but only one person sitting at it. So we three of us walked over and said, maybe we sit with you. He started in, and the next thing you know, he was talking about the gospel. My friend Bud and, and, and the other one, uh, Jeff, left and went back to the store. I was there for two hours. I didn't accept Jesus that day. But what I did do was take a challenge. He says, read the Gospel of John. And he didn't call it the love gospel. He just said, read the Gospel of John and see if you can't see the passion that John writes that he believed what he was writing. I'm, just not, I'm not telling you to believe it. Just see if you can see if John believed it. Went across the street to the bookstore and bought a New Testament and went and sat in my spray booth. Spray booth has a lot of impact on me, doesn't it? Uh, went and sat in my spray booth and read the, the Gospel of John. So uh, I, I, then I read Luke, Mark, and, and, and Matthew, again, backwards like I do almost everything. And, and when I came home and told Kathy what I'd done, I think it could have walked into her mouth. <laughs> because I had just said a few weeks before, I don't want to be bothered with that. I don't want to hear it anymore. Now, I didn't accept the Lord then. It was another year and a half down the road. But I had to know. This is, God knew what would per, stick in my head. I had to know why they believed it. There was no doubt in my mind after reading them that they believed it. And I couldn't figure out why. Especially the resurrection. I even worked for two Christian bookstores, did all their fixtures. For, you know, and all my labor and stuff was, was done for book exchange. And so I had two different bookstores at two different times feeding me. God was gracious. And they were willing to do what? Make disciples. This guy that was sitting at the table was willing to do what? Make disciples. How was he doing it? He was just sharing his testimony. And then a challenge. He didn't try to make me believe. He didn't try to talk me into it. He just said, go see for yourself. 
And now here's the things that I needed to hear. If we're willing, God will use us, put into the things that we need to say to someone that will challenge them. And you might not, you know, this guy will, I will never know that I, I, I don't know his name. But he's changed my life. God used him. I want to encourage you. You have no idea how God is going to use you. But the challenge is there for each and every one of us. Go and make disciples. And this isn't some kind of trying to prod you into guilt. It's just do it by seeking first the kingdom of God in your life, in your personal life. And God will put you in the places that you need to be where he wants you. He will use you. Because I, you can't seek the face of God as a, as a believer and not come to the conclusion that you need to share the faith. Share the faith, baptizing them. And we come to this picture where we, we as these people come into, into the Lord, it says that you know, death has lost its power over the believer. Uh, when you're a disciple in Christ, death has lost its power. Meaning, death can't, it's not that I'm not, not going to physically die, but I'm no longer afraid of it. It's no longer Lord over me. The life of Christ and eternity with Christ is over me. And so death has lost what? Its sting. It's lost its victory. What's the, the Scripture? Oh, death is swallowed up by, in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Again, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We've been united with Him. We are part of the body. If you go to Ephesians 4, it talks about this. Ephesians 1 talks about this. Christ is the head. We are the body. In fact, when you read Ephesians uh, uh, chapter 1. And you go through it. It's an interesting combination of things. Uh, starting with the uh, 15th verse. Uh, and, and, and part of it was I was thinking of scriptures about Thanksgiving and this was one that came up you know, uh, when I was looking them up. And it says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. In other words, that you will come to know Him and become what? Disciples. Followers of Christ. Having the eyes of your, your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope of which He has called you. What are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power towards us? Just stop and start to think about all the things that it's saying here. Who believe according to the working of the great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. Again, He has all authority, so He's above all of this. And above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And He put all things, He has all authority, therefore all things under His feet, and gave Him as head over all things to the church, 
which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Where is Jesus? He's at the right hand of God, sitting at the right hand of God. And the question came to me from a missionary that was visiting, uh, and, and we had him spending the night, and, he, and, and we went through these verses together, and he says, so where are you? And I said, well, I'm, I'm under the foot of Christ. He said, oh, you didn't get this right. He said, you're the body of Christ. You're with him at the right hand of God. Everything has been put into subjection under his feet. But the church, he has decided to share his inheritance with. As a result, we're not under his feet, but sitting with him. What a powerful picture. I'm going to jump ahead here just to, so we can get done here. That uh, As we baptize them, we baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's getting into the Trinity. That's a whole other message. There's no way I'm going to try to explain the Trinity other than the fact that it's basically, in our finite way of looking at things, Pretty much impossible to fully explain. People say it's like an egg, it's like an apple, and they go through all these different routines of trying to explain it. Good pictures, but, but they all fall short. The reality is, is that it's beyond our comprehension. There are some things that are, are meant to be mysteries to us until we see Him face to face. And I think we're going to be exploring those ministries for eternity in the sense of, of being in awe as we understand them and begin to see them. People say... Oh, I don't want to just be in heaven just sitting there singing for eternity. Well, first off, if that's what it is, I can guarantee you, you're going to be thrilled. Because the Scripture says there will be no sadness, no crying, no disappointments. Okay? But the other side of it is, I, think you, I, I suggest you read Randy Alcorn in his books on heaven. It's so much more that looks like in the sense of what has been promised to us. But Christ is at the very heart of it all. And so he says, we're to go and teach them. And he says, I want you to teach them all that I have commanded you. One-on-one. Small groups. Morning, Sunday morning worship services. Conferences. All the different ways that you can get fed. Tapes. Uh, well, people are using CDs, I guess. Uh, I still have hundreds of tapes. <laughs> and I still have a cassette player. Um, but, you know, CDs, all these different ways to, to be exposed to the things of God. I know people that use their time to go to work, especially those that commute for an hour, an hour and a half, to listen to things of God. Not just radio stations, but specific messages, that uh, things they're wrestling with and, and things they're looking for answers to. And, and they, they find the scriptures and, 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 and sermons and things on it and listen and, and try to get fed and, and be discipled and trained. And so they're, they're teaching them. Well, we are to do that as well, every one of us. If you're a parent, you've got a built-in teaching audience. Now, the fact that we're teaching them, doesn't matter who you're talking to, does that mean that they're going to receive Christ? No, that's not what we're saying there. Our responsibility is to present Christ, to teach Christ in our actions, in the way we walk, in the way we talk, in the things that we do. You see, Romans chapter 12 says that God is in the process of, of making us not conformed to the world, but transformed. Metamorphous, changed. It's, it's, it's a, a complete rebuilding of us in the sense of who we are in, in, as we come into Christ. And it's a process. It doesn't happen overnight. It's a process that we go through. And we never stop going through it on this earth. I don't know anybody that's made it. 
And anybody that says they've got it down pat and know all the answers are fooling themselves. I have heard some messages that were given by men that turned out to be cult leaders and stuff like that, ultimately. Because they they said, I am, I do, I have. No. Every one of us is studying, learning, and, and growing. And so we're to encourage one another in the Word of God. And none of this is accomplished in our strength. Colossians chapter 3, we read some of the verses this morning. Talk about putting off and putting on. We put off the things of the world and we put on the things of Christ. But how do we do that? By calling on the Holy Spirit in us. You can't do it by yourself. You have to have the Holy Spirit working in you. If you have confessed Jesus Christ with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that God raised Him from the dead and you believe that sincerely, you have the Holy Spirit. You don't have to wait for it. It's there. Call on the Holy Spirit every time you pray, every time you weep. Spirit, Holy Spirit, open my eyes to Your Word as I read. Cause me to understand what I need to understand today. Don't worry about that, putting it all together. You're going to come across stuff to the end of your life that is going to be mysteries to you. But what's exciting is, you know, we're told by Isaiah, we, build, we learn on precept on precept, line upon line, basically building block on building block. And what that means is we've got to have the foundation. What's the foundation? The Gospels, basically. And then the New Testament, the, the letters are explanations of how the Gospel is applied to life. In different circumstances. And then Revelation telling us of the, the great future the church has. And then he concludes this that he is with us always to the end of the age. And I, I wrote this in Christ who is with you always to the end of the age, then. The church, His body, is with Him for all eternity. In other words, to the end of the age, the end of the world is what it's talking about there. And then eternity begins and the church is with Him for all eternity. He's with us while we're here. But once we're with Him, we're with Him for what? Eternity. There's not going to be any turning back. It's all forward. Isn't that an amazing thing? Do you have doubts today about any part of your walk? Have you ever read Scripture or seen things or just said, God, I don't understand why? I believe that every, every believer struggles with this. Doubt is not a fact of unbelief. It's a fact of not knowing or understanding what is true in some case, in some place in the Word of God. And sometimes we have to go through a number of things before we get it. Some things we'll be asking in heaven person to person (laughs) and understanding there. Paul does say, when the perfect comes, I believe that's the second coming, when the perfect comes, we will have our understanding. Right now we see what? Through a mirror dimly. But we see. And a little by little, the mirror unfogs or becomes a little clearer. 
and we see a little bit better reflection. By the way, what's the reflection we're supposed to be looking for in the mirror? Christ. So, as we go into communion this morning, as the church, His body, believers in Christ, disciples in Christ, we recognize what Christ has done for us. And we do this every Sunday here. A lot of churches do it once a month. Some churches do it once a quarter. I know some churches that never do it. And there are other churches that do it once a year. We do it every Sunday because it is the reminder of what Christ has done. If I go to church someplace out of, out of the area and, and we don't have communion, I feel like I've missed something. Because we want to recall every time we get together, as they did in the first church in the New Testament, says, as often as they gathered together, they broke bread. Some people say that was a big supper and meal. I believe they're referring to communion. They broke bread together. As often as they gathered together, maybe more than just once a week. And they did it because they wanted to recall the God of all creation, the Word, became flesh and dwelt among us and went to the cross to say the words, it is finished, meaning paid in full, so that we could come because we have no other means. There's nothing we can put together. There isn't enough things in the world to put together to accomplish, to satisfy the debt that our individual sins have caused between us and God. If the whole world rallied to my defense, it would not be enough. But Christ rallied to my defense and said it's finished. Let's recall that as we share communion this morning. Ask the ushers to come forward, pass the communion out, worship team to come back, and we'll sing together.